and good morning. It is now 9 a.m. on the nose, and we welcome you to our live locally produced program about the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. This is Community Pulse on today's program. Public health advocate Ginny Chadwick is so pleased to welcome back Superintendent of Columbia Public Schools, Dr. Peter Stiepelman. We want to thank our listening audience for sending in so many intriguing questions. And since we have a lot to get to, we're going to go ahead and turn it over to that pair. Good morning, folks. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Peter, so much for being with us again tonight, today. (laughs) I am going to run and take my squeaky toy from my dog right on live radio. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to get to the numbers, and I'm going to go really quickly so that um, we have time to talk to Dr. Siefelman, because as Peter mentioned, we have a ton of questions that have come in from our listening audience. So thank you so much, listeners, for submitting your questions to KOPN. So right now we have um, 9.2 million cases confirmed across the globe with um, just shy of 500,000 deaths globally, our U.S. numbers are um, 2.3 million with 121,000 deaths across the country. Based on Matthew Holloway's data, we had um, a record high number of cases in the state of Missouri. And as we talk about bringing kids back to school, we realize that, you know, we're doing this under the pretext and, and the thought of what does the science say and what's happening across our state and in our local community. And we had 502 cases identified yesterday. So we have a total of 19,517 cases documented within the state of Missouri. Um, we had 14 COVID deaths in the state of Missouri yesterday. And we now have a seven-day average of about 347 cases identified per day and 13 deaths per day in the state of Missouri. And if we look across race, still um, we see inconsistencies. Um, African-American population has 29% of the cases in the state of Missouri. And then here locally in Boone County, we have 287 um, confirmed cases with two deaths. And we have um, 24% of those confirmed cases in our African-American population when our county population is only 8.8%. Um, and so we know that this is this virus is hitting um, our minority populations at a much higher rate. Uh, when we look across the globe and how we are comparing, we are ranking about 12th right now in the number of confirmed cases per uh, million, and we are testing at a rate that we rank 26th um, across all countries in the number of tests. So we know we're still not testing. We're still having higher rates. So, Peter, as you guys are making decisions, the CPS is deciding what to do this upcoming fall semester. Can you tell me who you're turning to to look for science and health guidance on these decisions that you're making? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you might expect, Um, And I would recommend if anyone wants to see our presentation that we gave to the Board of Education to go to our website, uh, cpsk12.org, so cpsk12.org, and it's backslash fall 2020. So, um, but you can get to it right from our our main page as well. It's on the top left there. It's the first button. First first thing you can click on to... We'll make sure to put that on our KOPN website as well, our Facebook page. Thank you. Yep. So um, we made a presentation recently to the Board of Education to really talk through who, who we talked to. So obviously, um, we, we looked to our local health department, uh, Stephanie Browning and her team, 
Uh, we look to the state level as well. Um, we were on a call um, late last week before we made some final decisions on our release of our plan that went home to families on Monday. Um, and then um, I have been in contact with a former um, author of the uh, Missouri pandemic plan before the uh, Trump administration cut the funding to the state level uh, departments. Um, mm -hmm. But he has been a, a good resource in helping us think about um, what are the milestones or benchmarks we would use to close schools. And then um, we have uh, taken some of that information and put it into our plan in terms of how we would consider when uh, it's appropriate for us to move from one stage to the next. So if you go to our plan, you'll see something called an indicator to daily indicator. Uh, anytime it changes, we'll email or, or text uh, every family, but we'll keep it constant on our website as well as school websites. And essentially what it is, it's just a five-stage plan. It almost looks like a speedometer that says level one is everything is traditional where there are no concerns and we can be in school just like we've always been. Um, and five is where the district is completely closed. So um, we wanted to have some indicators for the community just to better understand um, how we plan to enter in stage two, which is choice for families, five days in right. person for families who choose that, and then um, an online option that is distinctly different from what families experience in the spring. That is actual online coursework um, assignments uh, that are regularly assigned, that are regularly graded, feedback, and um, you know, you're taking your courses online. Yeah, and I really appreciate the fact that CPS is making two very clear distinctions that you can take online classes or you can be in person. And I have looked at the dashboard and, you know, a question that um, listeners have had and one that I still had was, okay, so what if a, a case is found within a school? Does the whole school close? How many days does the school close? Is it, you know, what if it's in a high school? Yeah, Do good you question. close yeah, that and, classroom? And it, and, yeah, so all of those are good. So I'll, I'll, I'll endeavor to answer all of them. So um, if, if you have a chance to look at the plan, I know it's 35 pages, hard to get it all mm -hmm. in. So uh, over the next weeks or so, I imagine families will digest it even more. Um, but there is a section in there uh, that talks about uh, what we'll do if there's a positive case. But um, so that would really be a level three. So it still says we're mm -hmm. still in our two, uh, our two models, either in person or online. Uh, however, we may have uh, specific buildings that are closed for a couple of days based on the fact that we had a positive case. And this is one that we're really struggling with because, you know, I get a weekly report from our director of nursing that tells me the numbers of kids who have gone to the nurse's office uh, in every building. And as you might expect, hundreds of children go with headaches or a cough or a fever or they're not COVID-19. And so... Um, we have a protocol in place. We actually built a scenario and put it in the plan so that a family could see if a child feels sick, teacher sends the child to the nurse's office, nurse may um, evaluate and determine that maybe that there are, there's enough concern that there may be symptoms of COVID. Then child would be separated. So we had to figure out how to create that layer of protection. And so we're going to be using these sort of pop-up um, rooms uh, that, that are large enough to put a, a, a cot in and to be supervised, but to be separated from general uh, public um, because we don't have additional rooms to, to have children um, or adults um, to, uh, be separated. Then, uh, we, then there's a whole protocol that goes through in terms of if it's a child or an employee, what, we, what we'll do. 
But the issue there is... So Peter, so beyond that, that, like I'm going to ask you, because I, I, as you're telling the story, because um, yeah, yeah. I've read it, and I'm curious, and listeners are too, will temperatures be taken as students enter the building? We yeah. get that temperatures will be taken if they set our right. sensors they in there. But taken as, as you enter. and I know, we have a very highly educated, uh, you know, populace in yeah. our community. And, and so they know that oftentimes temperatures are taken upon entry of buildings. So that, that was a consideration right. that was definitely so won't be taken. In, yeah, right. So they won't be taken as, as children enter uh, the building. And, and the reason why is uh, we were re- it was recommended at the state level um, that that would create a bottlenecking. And so then you're bottlenecking children as they're entering into the building. And what we're trying to do in terms of layers of protection is trying to keep kids from congregating uh, in, mm-hmm. in one single place. So, you know, we don't want to backwater jacks in the entrance of Hickman High School as everybody's right. coming in to, to be um, uh, checked. And just because of the, the nature of what we know about COVID since March uh, and, it's, uh, and, and just how, how many uh, potential, if, if one may have it, they may be asymptomatic and, and that uh, taking one's temperature um, may not reveal anything. And my um, recollection from that is that if there is a positive case, then the entire school building will close for a certain number right. of days. That's right. So correct? we're not going to right. right. So sorry, I was telling you the long story, and I'm sure, and, and I'm glad you interrupted as 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 a as a good moderator of a conversation should. But the reason why I was telling you, my concern is, if someone says I sent the kid to the nurse. I I think that kid had COVID, and and then I haven't heard anything. And then we tell somebody else, who then tells somebody else, who then puts it on social media. And the the concern is is that that the schools are just sweeping under the rug and not telling people about a positive case. But we will notify families the moment we know of a positive case. We will close the school and we will deep clean the whole school, not just that one classroom, because we we think that it's important to do that. And so, um, but you're going to have kids with fevers throughout the year just based on influenza, based on on colds, based on, on we know on kids, a whole get host of things. kids get so, sick. Kids get sick, and so yeah. I know that there is a way to watch webinars. Um, you had your first Zoom yesterday, and you're going to have another today for both the elementary uh, and the secondary. The next one is Thursday. Sorry, it's Thursday. Okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Tom- tomorrow. Tomorrow. And it's, mm-hmm. Or Thursday. Yeah. Um, and I know that I got it via email. Is there another place that those links are? I will find out. I would imagine they're on that site as well. But let me find out. Yeah, I poked around on the site and I yeah. honestly couldn't find them. Okay. So well, I, I know they easier. probably are, but I wanted them to be front and prominent. Yeah. And are they recorded? And if they are, is there a link so that parents can watch the recording? Because as you know, parents got very short notice to attend yeah. those webinars. I will find out. And if we have not recorded the Tuesday one, we will we will work to to record the Thursday one so that. Uh, questions can be answered and on-demand uh, watching could be, uh, people can do that. So, and then when we look at the online versus the in-person format, when you choose online, are those going to be synchronistic or self-paced classes? No, they're synchronistic. Um, so, um, yeah, they're synchronistic. There are... And do you know how many kids will be in each class? Um, 25, I believe. Even on the online synchronous on classes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. I don't awesome. think we're going. I don't think we're going above thirty. I heard of another school district that is doing fifty, but we think that's too high. Okay. And what about extracurricular activities? Will they be? Uh, yeah, will there be an online eligible. option as well? Oh, so well, extracurriculars in terms of like MISHA sponsored activities and athletics. If you are a student in public schools, 
you are eligible to continue to participate in those. In terms of mm-hmm. like the specials, like music, art, PE, things like that. Yeah. Yes, there's there's um, uh, those courses will continue for if, if you're in the visual one. So I'm just looking at the page right now. Just pulled it up. I yeah. thought that would be helpful. So, so what like if you are in, in the classroom and you are doing a special? Would those special teachers come to your classroom, or will will the students actually change classrooms to go to the special teacher? Yeah, so middle school and high school, they will uh, go to their classroom, but things like choir and, and instrumental music right now uh, will be limited because we won't be having the large ensemble uh, participation just because of our concern about the projection of aerosols. Um, in elementary mm-hmm. school, uh, the specialists will be coming to the classroom in an effort for us to maintain a stable group of kids in one space. Um, but things like PE, we're going to get kids outside. I mean, so uh, there was a, okay. unfortunately, there was a, a report um, made by a, a local TV station I, that, that just kind of missed it just a little bit that gave the impression that uh, we were not going to allow kids ever to leave their rooms. And so there was uh, a number of emails, as you might expect, wondering, are we going to let children go to the bathroom? Are they going to go to recess? So that, yes, we're going to be able to do those things. They'll be staggered. Um, and scheduled so that um, we're trying to keep numbers low and and keep our distancing. Mm -hmm. So will the kids be able to eat in their classrooms or will they be able to, especially like the secondary right now, I know Hickman High School kids get to leave campus to go eat. Will that still be going on? Yeah, so the principals are working on that. So right now the elementary schools will, uh, we have our plan in place to have children will eat in their classrooms with their their community. The um, middle schools, they are working on a multiple lunch um, schedules. So I think traditionally they have three. I think that they are working on trying to double that so that they have uh, smaller groups of, of students in the cafeteria. Um, and then high school, they're working through that. I believe this week the principals are coming together to really talk through the, the question about open campus and um, you know, whether or not it's a, it, if we can do it or not. The challenge, you know, with Rockbridge High School, for example, their cafeteria is the original media center. It is very small. Right. And so 2,000 students trying to eat um, would be a, a real challenge. So they're, they're going to work that out this week. And, you know, many districts around the state are not planning to reveal their, their plans until late uh, July. Uh, we, mm-hmm. I think, the first out of the gate in terms of making sure our public knows what we're planning. And that's a good thing, but it also, um, you know, we may have to pivot based on just the numbers yeah. you read at the at the top of the hour. And as you talked about the high school and the kids getting to, to move to their specials, you know, the plan also talked about a stable group of 25 to 50. So how does that work for high school classes, um, especially like if kids are in honors classes or AP classes? Right. And so the stable group there is, is that group in that classroom. And so it is maintaining that same group of students, same seats each time. So for contact tracing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's how we're defining a stable group in that sense. And so uh, originally we had thought that we would have students all assigned to different classrooms, but they would do all of their courses online and never leave. But that mm-hmm. uh, we don't think is in the best interest of the children's academics. And, and just the, the idea right now that our children are less susceptible and they're less likely to spread. And so that doesn't mean that they're not going to, um, but it does, it certainly was a, for now, I always want to say what the date is because it's anything could change, but for now, um, we feel comfortable based on the fact that Mid-Missouri um, has done 
relatively well in terms of its mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, how we you know, in terms of how yeah. the, the COVID has progressed. Okay, so now I'm going to ask the most controversial question that I know you've seen on social media because I've seen it pouring out. Um, well, you know, I imagine I, just... I know what it is because I'm not on <laughs> Facebook, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> so I did a show last Monday on uh, mandatory mask wearing on um, policies that would require it. And what we know is that a majority of states across the country require it, and many, many municipalities across the country do. We are a state and a municipality that does not require it. But um, we wonder why, the general public, myself included, um, why for secondary buildings are we not requiring wearing masks? And, and that there's been some talk on social media and even by school board members that maybe that's not the authority of the Columbia Public Schools to be able to do so. And if that's the case, I think the public would like to know where in the state or local statute that is pointed to. For instance, I've heard, you know, parents say, you know, Columbia Public Schools has a dress code that they can have students abide by. So why not mask, Peter? <laughs> yeah. So right for now, uh, where we are right now, based on what we, in terms of where we stand and what we know in terms of the uh, cases that we've had and where we are, um, we are encouraging masks, but we're not requiring them. So that's just for now. I mean, we may rethink based on where we are and as we get closer to August that there may be a more compelling reason to do it. But for now, you know, the, one of the questions we ask ourselves, and I appreciate that you separated it between uh, secondary and elementary, because elementary, you're asking six-year-olds to wear a mask for seven hours and, you know, everything from chewing on their masks and, 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 and sneezing in their masks and, you know, putting yeah, masks the over, I mean, all of that is yeah, like, Under the age of 10, there's really the science and, and law that, that don't really touch that demographic or population. Right. The youngest I've seen mask requirements is, you know, excluding those under two. But, you know, I think San Francisco has the oldest I've seen, and they exclude anybody under 12. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's where, so that's kind of where we started was looking at elementary and saying it, it, we're going to make sure that every employee has two masks that are provided to them by the school district, and we're going to strongly encourage that they wear their masks. Um, and then the second piece is just looking at um, – you know, at where we stood at the moment was we're going to encourage people to wear masks. They can bring their masks to school, um, but we weren't requiring it initially. Well, I the question think is that just I'm about enforcement. Yes, and it's, <laughs> so, it's, it's hard to enforce. Right? So, but... And then, and seriously, because I'm thinking about who listens, uh, mo- more likely than not, who listens are advocates who are really thoughtful about, I mean, you are intentional about talking about who um, – who has been most at risk in terms of COVID. And, and I think that's right. an intentional because we ought to be thinking through those terms in terms of uh, our, our population of color who have been more susceptible or at a disproportionate rate, right? So my concern is when you're enforcing something uh, like a mask and what happens when, the, when a child says, no, I'm not gonna wear it. Now what happens? So are we sending the kid home and who is more likely going mm-hmm. to be in that kind of defiance or disrespect battle with a teacher who's going to end up being sent to the office now in a sort of bottleneck stage of like having to adjudicate whether or not the kid's going to wear a mask or not. And so, right, I'm truly thinking through just the logistics and the reality, not just in terms of like what is best practice, but truly what's going to happen, Ginny, what has your experience been about who's more likely than not going to be sent out for not putting on the mask or getting into an argument? Right. I mean, and we know our populations of minority get targeted more with policy. So um, 
one last question, because I know you have another meeting to get to and we have to wrap up. Um, so questions about having specific sessions for those who maybe um, want more detail on special education or high-risk populations. Have you guys considered having specific webinars for yeah, uh, Q&A really, for that? That's a really good idea. I mean, we have an FAQ, uh, Frequently Asked Questions uh, sheet for, um, for specialized groups, so not just our uh, children who receive special services, but also um, children who are enrolled in our English Learner Program. Right now it's being translated, I think right now it's available in Spanish, but it's being translated into Arabic and Chinese and Korean. Mm -hmm. um, our, our top five languages, our sixth is Kinyarwanda, just in case you needed a fact there. Um, and um, so that is being done. Um, there are some general I, uh, understanding of how we will operate in terms of special education, but then when you get to individual children, it really is their IEP that's gonna guide how we're best going to support a child. So if a family believes because their child is uh, immunocompromised uh, or, or they're just not comfortable sending their children to school yet, uh, but are wanting to be able to send their child just for their small group instruction, they will be allowed to do that. So we are trying to be really accommodating and flexible in terms of, you know, it is really difficult, as we learned in the spring, not just here locally, but nationwide, to deliver special education services over Zoom. And so, um, so being able to allow a child to come to school for their service, uh, for their services and their, to meet with their specialist would be something that we would accommodate. And if I get off the phone without asking this question, I'm not sure if I can look at my daughter in my house, but what about band, Peter? Yes, I know. Right now, um, both choir and large ensembles are going to be limited. Um, and, and so um, that's where we stand at the moment. Um, and so, you know, I, I, what does limited and I mean? both have a child to small group, to individual instruction that they'll be okay. doing. Um, yeah, it just won't be the full ensemble playing. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, you and I both have a child who they both excel. They love their band community and their yes. band family and are both really distraught about what that's going to look like. And so, um, uh, but you get a lot of, you know, if you put 100 kids in a room all blowing their instruments, it seems <laughs> to be not a great idea. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Dr. I really appreciate I know it. that more will unfold and we will understand as we get closer to the fall and the start of class. Thanks, Jenny. I really appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. All right. That was some conversation. If you were just joining us, that's Ginny Chadwick, a public health advocate who serves as host here on Community Pulse, and Dr. Peter Stiepelman, who is the superintendent of Columbia Public Schools. Oh, but we had more time for that conversation. As a reminder, you can catch all of Community Pulse every uh, Monday through Thursday live here on KOPN, your community radio station at 9 a.m. We later post links to the full episodes uh, both on our website, kopn.org, and our Facebook page. We invite you to join us tomorrow when Dr. Elizabeth Allman will be back. Our topic will be transmission, in, uh, <coughs> transmission of the virus in children. So we will be dovetailing a little bit the conversation that we had today. As always, we welcome your questions, comments, and insights you have related to the coronavirus or programming here on KOPN in general. Leave a message for us at 573-874-1139 or email us at gm at kopn.org. Up next, it is an abridged version of Background Briefing. We thank you once again for joining us here on your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. Stay safe, Columbia. We will see you once again tomorrow.